Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Today's from the program, Mrs. Duffy, Chagas Dairy Advisor on the Fodder Support Scheme and Managing Volatile Weather. Mr. T.J. Maher comments on the PAC Bovine TB report. Lorcan Roach-Kelly, Agribusiness Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, reviews the Irish Farmers Journal KPMG Agribusiness Report, pointing to the very important role of the Charleville region in the national agricultural economy. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine has published the Annual Review and Outlook for 2022. There's been a record 15.4 billion euro worth of agri-food exports for the period. The sector accounts for 9.5% of total goods exported from the Republic. 170,400 people are employed in the agri-food sector. That's 7.1% of total employment exporting to over 180 markets worldwide. Dairy, 5.1 billion euro in exports, with both butter and cheese exceeding 1 billion euro. Beef, 2.4 billion in exports, and Ireland is the eighth largest exporter of boneless beef in the world. Tillage, an additional 10,000 hectares of cereals were planted in 2021. Beverages, Exports of 1.8 billion euro, a 20% increase for the period. Seafood, exports of 603 million euro, a 13% increase. More details on the extensive report on the following website, www.gov.ie. That's www.gov.ie, all lowercase. The National Potato Conference and Trade Show 2022 is taking place in the City North Hotel, Gormanson, County Meath, and the postal code K32W562, and that's on Tuesday, November 22nd, the postal code K32W562, organised by IFA in association with Chagask and Borbia. The conference theme is Potatoes, Protecting Your Business for the Future. The conference will be opened by the IFA President, Mr Tim Cullinan.
A brief look at ploughing. Miss Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association, regrets to announce that unfortunately ploughing has been cancelled for the moment due to predicted unsuitable weather conditions. Cork East ploughing next. Mr Philip Cotter, PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Philip, welcome to the programme. I understand you now have an update on the ploughing calendar. Thanks very much, John. That's correct. Uh, unfortunately, last Sunday's match in Bellyfield had to be cancelled because of weather conditions. So today, that match will be going ahead on the same farm, the Harrington Farm in Bellingarry, Bellyfield. I, I think most people were notified for last week, will be aware of it anyway, and if they can make it themselves available today, Saturday, they probably will come out. Tomorrow then, Sunday, the 13th, it's our own local match, uh, Tupper House local match, and it's being held on the lands of Holy Cronin of Valley Vague, by kind permission, and uh, we're very indebted to this man because he's given us land successfully every year for the past number of years and also um, it, the main sponsorship he gives us that as well from the Limehouse on Main Street in Mallow, the shop. So we're, we're, we're deeply in this is to Coleman and his wife and our match hopefully weather permitting will go ahead at 11 o'clock tomorrow Sunday the 13th and in Coley's land just up at Borash Cross. Most plowmen have been plowing there for the past couple of years so they know where the place is which will be signed posters off of the, the Hazelwood Road and off the main road from the Limerick side and off of the main road from the Mallow side. So this match will be kicking off at 11 sharp and there'll be food in the field. So we hope that uh, we'll, weather permitting, we hope we'll get away with it this time. But again, if we do have to cancel, John, we'll be cancelling today at uh, sometime before the end. So I'd just like to give you a phone number there for um, Phelan. Cotter will take entries for the Tupper House match and Phelan's number is 086-272-4171 and anybody interested in plowing in the Tupper House match could get their entries into Phelan before 5 or 6 o'clock this evening Saturday. That's Phelan Cotter 086 Two seven two four one seven one, and hopefully we'll be able to move tomorrow. Weather permitting. Thanks, John. Thank you, Mr. Philip Cotter, a PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Thank you very much indeed, Philip. Irish Farmers Journal Agri Business Editor Mr. Lorcan Roach Kelly joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program to give an overview of the tenth annual Irish Farmers Journal KPMG Agri Business Report. Lorcan, welcome to the programme. What are some of the main points from this very ambitious and comprehensive report? Um, hello, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so this, this is the 10th annual KPMG Irish Farmers Journal Agribusiness Report. And it's like every year we put out one of these reports in conjunction with um, KPMG. And we kind of KPMG do the economic research and stuff in the Irish Farmers Journal. And we do kind of lots of local research, talk to people, bring up surveys, that kind of thing. And between the two, we kind of come together and come up with like some ideas about, about some impact of agriculture in Ireland. This year, we kind of, kind of said... Well, let's just measure it. Let's measure how much agricultural output there is. Let's measure what it's doing. Let's measure how many jobs there are. And let's kind of pick a few towns around the countryside that are kind of emblematic of their area. So we can pick four towns in the Republic, one in the North, 
and it kind of covered different aspects of agriculture in Ireland. So we picked Ballyhonas and Mayo. That's a real kind of centre for beef production, sucker herds. We had um, Cavan, which is a good mix of beef, dairy, some tillage, pigs and poultry. Cookstown in Northern Ireland, which is real pig and poultry kind of centre time. In Escorty has a bit of tillage. And then close to your neck, we'll pick Charleville, because that Charleville is the heart of the Golden Vale, absolutely, completely dominated by dairy industry. So we had to kind of pick these industries out and see how many people were employed directly and indirectly, and by indirectly, I mean how many people have their jobs because agriculture is there, the money from agriculture is there, and also how much, um, what's the economic impact, how much does it add to the Ireland's national purse for the year. That was the job of work we sailed to do, and that's what we have in our report. Localisation, Charleville. Could you give some specific details regarding Charleville? I think like Charleville was big because we needed somewhere that was dairy, and Charleville really is, Joe, it's, it's an outstanding town. We could have probably picked Malawar as well, like it was kind of six one half to the other. Charleville was the one we went for in the end. I suppose when you say about localisation, I think what we're, what we're saying there is for the last 20, 30 years, I, from my economics background, we always talk about globalisation as the way things were going. Like it's all cut costs in them. doesn't matter how far away somebody is. As long as somebody makes it cheaper, you'll buy that instead of buying stuff from down the road. What we learned in the pandemic and the shutdown and the supply chain difficulties that happened since, and even with the war in uh, Russia and Ukraine, is that if you can source something close by, that's a supply that's always going to be there. So that's kind of really what localization is. And then if you keep something, if, you, if you're buying something close by, the euros that you're spending are staying within the local economy, which means that the local economy gets stronger and stronger. Unfortunately, um, I suppose there's one, one thing, the one bad drawback for that is that if all the money is staying in a very local economy, like say the Charleville economy is booming, it's not so visible outside of the direct area. So if you live in Dublin, and you walk around, say, Dublin, you see the skyscrapers and the glass buildings of the Googles and the Facebooks, and you see, oh, that's obviously where the economy is. And John and Charleville say, don't hear any about Charleville, I don't see it, there's clearly nothing happening down there. So that's what we're trying to do in this report. We're saying, look, Charleville's here. Last year, Charleville added 1.7 billion euros to the Irish economy. There's 13,000 people employed in agriculture directly and indirectly in the Charleville area. And if you had one employer in Dublin employing 13,000 people, the government would be down there every day cutting ribbons and clapping themselves back for having such a great company there. But because Charleville is small, it's local, and it's like you know, the money is going in a circle inside Charleville, it's not seen so much. And what we're trying to do in a report here is say, you've got to keep an eye on this, you've got to look after these industries. It's an indigenous industry, it's not going anywhere, but you need to mind it because if you don't look after it, it'll start to die. That's what borders are. And I think one of the things you said about localization, well, the one of the threats we have to at the moment is the, um, and this was highlighted in the survey we did at the end, was the, the threat from input costs. Because three, like inflation has been a big problem this year, and the three big input cost farms face have gone up, have been fertilizer, uh, fuel, and animal feed, the three Fs we call them. And the thing with those three Fs is they're all imported. We import animal feed, we import fuel, and we import fertilizer. So if those costs go up, the money, the, far, the euros the farm is spending in those products is leaving the local economy which is a kind of, it's almost, it's almost like the economy's taking a hit because these things leave. So we get those prices, hopefully we'll come back under control the next year or two, and then we'll have to, other problems to face, but hopefully they'll be longer term and there's about time for the policymakers to deal with them. Could we just recap on some of the key details regarding Charleville? Just to be clear, Charleville and the Charleville area, we, have, we kind of drew a circle of around 30 kilometres around the town just to watch the big maximum catchment. So it is like 1.7 billion euros. It is like, it's a huge, for such a small area that is, that has no major city, there's no big city, no big, in the area, it's producing so much economic value. Like, <clears throat> we, did a, we did work out the total value for the, for the total republic. 
and that's 21 billion in 2021. So 21 billion is the total public charges, 1.7 billion of that. So that's what 8% of the total agricultural output of the of the entire republic comes from North Cork around Charleville. So it's like it's so key. It's such a large part of what what's happening in the, in the Irish farm industry at the moment. And okay, some of that's because it's dominated by dairy, and dairy is obviously a more intense agricultural um, um, operation. More inputs, more outputs leads to more economic activity, which leads to more extra, extra employment as well in the area. So it's a win-win, really. 96% of the people who contributed to the report highlighted rising input costs as the main problem, and of course 25% reduction in emissions, so you have that problem as well. Two key things there. First of all, there's the short term, which is the, like I said, the input costs going up, and that, that hopefully will be a short term thing, because like we, we've gone long enough to see prices rise and prices fall, and right now prices are rising, and hopefully... Um, Mr. Putin will get things will get under control in, in Russia and prices might start falling again. Because kind of, if they keep rising the way they have this year for the next couple of years, like everybody's gone, everybody's in trouble, and like that hopefully won't happen. But um, the, I think the other thing, the more important thing, is the kind of longer term challenges. And there's two key longer term challenges facing agriculture in this that was highlighted in this report. The first one, as you say, is climate change. How do we get 25% reduction by 2030? And there's, there isn't really much. I suppose much joined up thinking on that. And I think there's possibly a job of work for farmers themselves to do to get together and say how they're going to come up with their own solutions. Because if a solution is imposed from either Brussels or from Dublin on the farming community, then it may not be one that suits. And I think farmers need, really need to get on the front foot on this a little bit. But I think the other thing that the survey um, talks about, that we came from the survey, that is another key thing is there's a real difficulty in getting young people into farming. It's getting young farmers to join the industry. There seems to be very high barriers to entry, and also young people aren't that interested in it because it's seen as lonely, long hours, low-pay, dirty work that people don't want to do. And I think that farming itself needs to make sure that it has a pipeline of young farmers coming in all the time to keep the farming going because the one thing that's very, very clear from this report, without farmers, none of this exists all this economic activity just disappears because the whole thing is built on agriculture. Getting young people into farming, when we see the age profile of uh, Irish farmers, it's so high. And in fact, the survey showed uh, that two-thirds of the younger people asked if they wanted to get into agriculture as a career. Two-thirds of those who responded said they did not. I'm from a, a soccer beef background myself. And um, like the, the soccer beef, like most lots of people I know that are in soccer farming are part time. Like there are very few full time people left, and that's almost like the worst possible solution because you're working hard in a job during the day, and then you go home and work hard in a farm afterwards. And like to get some young person to say, "Oh, well, actually, no, it's two jobs. One job is the farm; the other job is the job you do turn money to look after the farm." Like that's really you're not selling it very well there to all, all the young people. So I, I think there is definitely. It, it really is something that has to be kind of looked at, education that's come in, but also like, there has to be some policies brought in to make sure that people, there are farmers coming in. Because, again, like, the one thing, Pete, that, that you have to have, you, have, you can't have farmer, farms without farmers. So it's a, I think it's a long-term policy challenge, but it's one that definitely has to be kept an eye on. And another aspect of the report, it points out that definitely agriculture is without question our most important nation for indigenous industry. When we had the financial crash some years ago, 2008 or 9, we found, hang on, there's 9 billion euro there in agricultural exports and agribusiness. 
absolutely. And, and this is also the, the key point we're making. Like, you know, like you say, Ireland, it's Ireland's most important indigenous industry. I, I'd argue it's Ireland's most important industry, full stop, because it's always there. Like, farms are not going to move. Like, the farm is, is, is always going to, the land is always going to be there. Like, factories, like, did the, the big the tech companies may come and go. The big pharma companies may come and go. Like, you remember down in Cork, when Ford pulled out of Cork, it was like the end of the world. But, like, that's the problem where you got these big, big anchor companies that are making decisions. And when, like, when a company like Apple spends some money, it doesn't necessarily, like, Joe, that money doesn't, doesn't flow around the, the economy in Cork. It doesn't flow around the Irish economy. It might end up in some foreign land somewhere else. Whereas when you're a farmer, local farmer gets 100 euros in his pocket, he's spending that in the local town. And that's what you want. You want that local money moving around the place. So it's like, I would say it's Ireland's most important industry. Full stop. When we see globalisation, you know, what happened with globalisation when the financial crash came in 2008 or 9, we saw that we were back to localisation. What springs from the soil of Ireland? Agriculture. The ground has to produce food for people because the people, there are so many people there that need to be fed. And I think we, we would be almost doing a disservice to ourselves and to the rest of humanity if we, if we pull back from the food production side of agriculture. Irish Farmers Journal, Agribusiness Editor, Mr Lorcan Roach Kelly. Lorcan, can I ask you, where can people get the Farmers Journal KPMG Agribusiness Report? That they can walk into their local news agents, pick up a copy of this week's Irish Farmers Journal, and they will find it enclosed in their copy of the Irish Farmers Journal. Or they can go online and they can sign up for a digital subscription, and they will get the Irish Farmers Journal delivered to them, and they'll get a free pair of welly boots as well. But um, definitely in this week's Irish Farmers Journal is where it is. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Lorcan Roach Kelly, Agribusiness Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, Lorcan. Thanks a million. And hopefully our listeners will get their hands on a copy and fully appreciate the value of agriculture as our, arguably the most important industry we have. Thank you very much indeed, Lorcan. Thanks a million. Thanks, sir. You're yes, very welcome. Yes, it's been contended that the recent Public Accounts Committee appraisal of the TB eradication programme has failed to identify the biggest losers, which are farmers. IFA Animal Health Chairman, Mr TJ Marr. The, the starting point here, John, is that we, have been, we were extremely frustrated this week uh, when the PAC uh, brought out their report uh, on the financial controls of the programme outlining the increasing costs, uh, and they failed to outline the fact that farmers are, are indeed the greatest losers uh, with continuing restrictions in their farm, uh, loss of animals and closing down of their businesses. So I think it, it is our frustration that one level of, of government fails to recognise uh, that farmers are indeed the, the biggest sufferers at the hands of the TB programme. Our, our continuing concern, uh, and we had an implementation group with the department there this, me, this week, where the key issue of staffing has again emerged, uh, where uh, we have sourced additional funding from through the Department of Agriculture and the Minister for Finance for an increased wildlife uh, program, uh, but there continues to be significant vacancies in the TB uh, wildlife program area, which coming to the time of the year when we enter into the critically important uh, mon- uh, capture and monitor and control of sets is extremely important. There are boots in the ground sufficient enough to manage uh, the number of permits that are there that have been uh, certified by the department as, as required, uh, given that there have been significant TB outbreaks in designated areas. And it is the frustration um, that we're getting from farmers that there, is, there aren't enough of people on the ground to actually go out 
and manage and control the wildlife program. And unfortunately, we have been proven time and time again that that until we have a properly working wildlife program, fully resourced and manned in every region of the country, we will continue to have upsurges in the disease. The establishment of the National Deer Forum under the stewardship of Cockman, uh, Teddy Cashman, is starting to get underway, and we would hope that there will be a greater coordination and management of the deer population in regions uh, around the country where, where the numbers have got out of control. And there have been reports of uh, people seeing young deer, fawns on the road, and uh, that can be a threat too because in the background you may have the parents worried about their young. Increasingly, deer can cause traffic accidents. Uh, first of all, they're extremely, extremely damaging to young, to young deciduous plantations and improved extremely difficult for parks and wildlife. Uh, number two, they have absolutely wreaked havoc on farmlands, uh, wrecking fences uh, and making the control and management of livestock impossible. Uh, the danger to people and car users crossing on roads and giving infrequent, num- infrequent numbers, uh, they're becoming less and less afraid of people and venturing to areas where they wouldn't normally de- do because of increase of populations. Springtime grass becomes a scarce commodity. They're moving down from the hills and and grazing farmers uh, protected grounds of the springtime and causing untold damage. So the management of the deer population is a much bigger issue uh, in, in the wider scheme of things. And this is where the deer National Deer Management Forum, uh, which has been coordinated by Parks and Wildlife and the Department of Agriculture, is going to be critically important in getting in control of this. Uh, because it still remains only in the Wicklow region as deer have been clearly associated with the spread of disease of TB. Speaking to Mr TJ Marr, Animal Health Committee Chairman of the IFA. TJ, of course, so with bovine TB, there is a deadline set now which we're working towards. After the TB forum three years ago, Mr Creed, as well as the time, outlines the target of uh, removal of the disease uh, by, the end, by, by 2030. Now, Given where we are at the moment and the failure of the department to have sufficient staff on the ground, that would look like a very ambitious target at this point in time. But the key for us as farmers, we have to do our job and manage through as best we can with this on our farms. We can't say we can't test because we're short of manpower. It has to be done. The department can't just say they can't just capture the badgers because they haven't got the manpower. They have to do what we have to do, get the job done. And looking at the role of the farmer, the farmer spends a lot of time, if he's going to adopt all of the recommended hygiene measures, the farmer contributing a labour element to this. It is one of uh, the statutory requirements for a farmer when he, he undergoes uh, a breakdown to, to receive his uh, income supplement or live valuation, uh, valuation costs for his farmers that he undergoes a cleaning regime through the farm and proper disinfection. And obviously, given the, this is particularly expensive at the moment, given the shortage of labour uh, in this area and the ever-increasing ever costs of diesel and the operation of these machines. So this is, again, one of the added costs that the TB programme brings on farmers. And it, again, was one of a source of great frustration to us this week when the PEC failed to properly outline the actual uh, physical contribution of farmers' labour when they were calculating the local cost. While we, we do co- contribute almost £40 million in direct costs to paying for our testing and our disease levies, we have estimated that the total cost of farmers' labour around the, the, the pro- pro- providing the animals for test, disinfection, 
the assistance to the department and all others involved sometime in the, somewhere in the region of 20 million per annum by farmers on a cost for their own labour. And the reality is everybody else in this scheme quantifies their time and is paid for it. Uh, farmers are the ones who don't get any direct payment but must pay for the disease. Uh, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. ...operation to their own businesses, and it's absolutely right and proper that as part of the calculation of the overall cost of the scheme that the Irish farmers' labour involved in this should be properly calculated and attributed to the total cost of the scheme. And this has been uh, recognised by the Grant Thornton report that was commissioned by the Department of Agriculture, which the PAC failed to recognise in their annual report. We're estimating about €20 million farm labour and then €40 million in levy. So... Farmers contributing around sixty million euro. Farmers are contributing almost half of the total cost to the, of the operation of the entire scheme, uh, and that's something that uh, has to be recognised and remembered. This is why we, as farmers, uh, can waste no time in ensuring the programme is operational efficiently and effectively as possible. Because at the end of the day, every month and every year that's lost uh, in the in the removal of the disease is an income loss to farmers. The mental, psychological feeling when a man's animals are depopulated. But I understand there will be a little bit of increase to compensation for farmers now. Well, as part of negotiations with the Department of Agriculture, IFA have indicated a willingness to increase our disease contributions, which would result in a, in, in a de facto increase in the income supplement loss for farmers uh, and, and also in the hardship grant areas. Um, but we have absolutely 
uh, have a red line issue here that there will be no in- sanction of increasing of disease levies funding until the department commits to the payment of the introduction of the pre-movement test for cows and bulls, which will come into place on the 1st of uh, February next year. So we we are in a situation where it is in the gift of the Minister to ensure that people are properly looked after uh, next year, but he has to make a decision that there's a small a small overhead cost here. In the We estimate there's no more than 170,000 uh, animals at risk of an extra cost here, or extra test here. This will be reduced further as people are allowed to move their hair test to coincide with their sales periods. So it is coming to that time of the year where decisions have to be made. We are absolutely committed to the protection of our farmers and to ensure that no unnecessary stress is based on them because of loss of income, as you've rightly pointed out. Um, TB entering into a family farm is a huge, a huge stressor, not just on the farmer but on his entire family, given that their farm business can effectively be shut down Income loss can be significant depending on the type of system, but the increased costs and pressure of managing increased animals and 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 not not being aware of when the disease will run its course is of course extremely stressful in every member of the family, and this is something that's often overlooked, but something which we are working with the department to try and set up uh, helplines to ensure that people have enough of inf- uh, assistance outside of the day-to-day farm life to ensure that no one bears any unnecessary risk uh, or pressure from the disease. Across the European Union, we are not amongst the most successful countries in eradicating TB. Uh, Ireland is is one of the few countries left in the EU that has the secondary host, uh, which is the Badger in, in the Irish in Ireland situation. Now that the UK and Northern Ireland have effectively left the EU, this problem is we are the one with the active hosts that is a protected species that has to be managed properly. And unfortunately, it's the failure to manage the, those hosts is the one that contributes to a large, in a large way to the spread of the disease. And that's why we have continually uh, pursuing the management and coordination of the wildlife program because ultimately one will result, the better operation of one will result in, the, in, a, in a better operation of the TB programme overall. As well as eradicating bovine TB, we also have to battle with IBR, BVDs, etc., and PIs making various degrees of progress, but of course all of this helping boost or retain our valuable export markets and have healthy food for consumption at home. So IBR, BVD, etc., the issue of IBR uh, continues to be uh, going, a continuing concern uh, that impacts on our um, export markets, particularly for our calves, and it's one that's been uh, looked at in association with the farm organisations and, and IFA. Uh, we also have the ongoing BBD programme, which um, has running far too long from most farmers' uh, viewpoint. Uh, we are coming to a very important stage where we are down to around 230 herds in the country who do have uh, PI this year, and we will hopefully achieve BVD-free status within the European regulations sometime in 2023. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we will have to ear-notch tag uh, test our calves for another two years, uh, but IFA have been very, very clear to the department. Farmers are willing and able to continue this program uh, to ensure the disease is removed, but we have played our part, uh, and it's now time for the minister uh, to put funding towards 
the testing of these uh, samples every year. Uh, farmers have put up in the region of 100 million towards the BVD program. We're going to continue to invest in the purchase of tags and in the insertion of these tags into animals' ears and the collection of those for post. But the minister must take responsibility for the testing and from this point on, uh, because we feel <coughs> that uh, Irish farmers have borne the bulk of this cost for far too long, and now the burden needs to be shared. Well, some very, very strong messages there uh, going out to the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Mr. Charlie McConlogue. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. T.J. Marr, National Animal Health Committee Chairman with the IFA. Thank you, T.J., very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Miss Liz Duffy, Chagas Dairy Advisor with the Middleton Office. First of all, Liz, welcome to the programme. Big event upcoming which you could please uh, remind our listeners about. I will, certainly, John. Um, yeah, so I suppose, look, the, the Chagas Dairy Conference is back as a face-to-face event this year. I suppose it's, it's great to have us back as a live face-to-face conference after all the, the upset with COVID. So now, um, as I said, bookings are now being taken for the, national, the Chagas National Dairy Conference that will be held on Tuesday, the 6th of December, in the Rotestown Park Hotel in Cork. Uh, the conference itself will be divided into four sessions with a fantastic lineup of speakers from industry, research and local farmers also. The opening session in the morning will focus on the evolving demands of dairy product customers and consumers. And we'll have Conor Galvin, the CEO of Dairy Gold, and Dr. Mary Flynn of the Food Safety Authority to give us some industry insights for the, for the year ahead. So after the, the high milk price year, we'll be, we'll be interested to see what their outlook is for the coming year. Um, session two then will have two research presentations and a farmer presentation on the subject of improving farm productivity in a lower nitrogen input system. Session three then after lunch will focus on producing higher quality calves from the dairy herd. And the final session in the evening will be four short technical updates looking at on-farm costs for 2023, milk quality, methane emissions and the effect milking routine and and facilities have on labour efficiency. So as I said, bookings are just opening now. Um, they're being taken so people can go to the, the Chagas website or contact any of the Chagas offices for, for more details and to, to book in for the conference itself. That sounds fine. And Liz, could you please remind our listeners about the venue and the date again, please? I can. It's uh, Tuesday, the 6th of December, John, and the Town Park Hotel there, just, I suppose, just outside Douglas there, outside Cork City. That's wonderful, a great uh, event indeed. Now, coming to our general uh, conversation regarding some current issues, looking, for example, at the fodder support scheme, the Department of Agriculture recently launched the fodder support scheme for 2023. That's next year, 2023. Can you give us some more details on this? And I think a couple of people have noticed a precondition that you must have qualified this year, 22, in order to be in the scheme for 23. So in that case, maybe during our conversation, you might refer to what would appear to be just a, a bit of a contradiction that you'll have to you know, have applied already and you won't have received your cash. But just in general, some of the main points regarding the fodder support scheme. Yeah, I go through that there, John, and I'll, I'll cover that query that you have, but you're correct anyway. But the the scheme itself, so the fodder support scheme, as it's called, and there's, there's a lot of interest in it. As I said, they've op- they're opening up the applications for the 2023 scheme now. So look, we're, we're barely finished through 2022, and we're already applying for a 2023 scheme. So 
Look, the scheme itself, from the department point of view, has been designed to incentivise farmers to grow enough grass and make enough fodder, which can be silage or hay, uh, for the winter of 2023. So their objective, I suppose, is to minimise any risk of potential animal welfare issues, I suppose, as um, resulting from the impact of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And the main driver for the scheme really has been the increase in the price of the key inputs involved in the production of fodder. So that's the fertiliser, the diesel, the plastic, which, as we know, have significantly increased over the past 12 months. So the first point on it anyway is that if you're milking cows on the 16th of May 2022, you're not eligible for the scheme. So pretty much all all, all dairy farmers obviously are out of it. Um, so if you weren't in in 2022, you're not in 2023 as a, as a milk producer. So we'll rule out the milk producers first anyway. Then look for the general population. Then after that, the department have launched the application process for the 2023 fodder support scheme, as I said. And again, this is done online through the Ag Food, so you can you can do it yourself if you're any good on the computers or with the help of an advisor, which I suppose we'd be dealing with in the offices in Chagask. The closing date then for the application is midnight on Monday, the 5th of December 2022. And the scheme payment rate will be the same as before. It's €100 Euros per hectare. And again, the same maximum payment of on 10 hectares or €1,000. And a key point, John, that you highlighted there um, is that only people who were approved in the 2022 scheme are eligible to apply for the 2023 scheme. So I, I'm not too sure did they get so many applicants that they had to cap it. But basically, if you're in in 2022, you can reapply again now. Um, but effectively, there's no new applicants being taken for the 2023 scheme. Uh, and at the moment, if you're completing an application, you won't be able to amend any of the areas that you would have declared in 2022. But these areas can be changed um, in May to July of next year if you need to, to if there's a different area of, of ground being cut for hay or silage there in 2023. Um, the department have informed us that an, an advance payment will be made before Christmas of this year. And then the balancing payment will be kind of this time next year, late in 2023. So as I said, the maximum area that can be claimed is 10 acres, which roughly 25, sorry, 10 hectares, which is 25 acres. And you can put that in either of two ways. You can put it in as 10 hectares done as a first cut or five for the first cut, five for the second cut to give you the maximum of the 10. But as I said, anyway, the, the payment is going to be limited to €1,000 per farm um, and the closing date is the 5th of December on that scheme. And, of course, that's for dry stock farmers. I know your clients... Pretty much now, yeah. And, unfortunately, we acknowledge that uh, some dairy people, perhaps all of them, might be severely aggrieved, but that's the way it is. That's the Unfortunately, way it... John, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some people who just only... Their only business is selling silage, so you don't actually have to have livestock, but, unfortunately, as you said there now, milk producers are, are ruled out of it, yeah. Regarding the recent rain, I mean, everyone has noticed the torrential showers and the weather, sometimes lovely sunny spells, but have your clients been managing reasonably well with the recent rain and weather issues and perhaps been touched uh, incidentally by some flooding? So in general reaction of your milk producers, your dairy clients to the weather, the volatile weather? Yeah, I suppose, John, and I just, just as a matter of interest, I said um, I'd have a look at figures. So, yes, you're correct. It's been, I suppose, the, the rainfall has been a headache. We were, we're lacking it in the summer and then we have too much of it lately, but definitely it is causing issues locally. So I've taken a look at some of the local rainfall levels for Rotus Point and Cork Airport just to see what the records are saying. So 
the figure I got up, up the most recent figure was the total rainfall up to the 6th of November last year and a total of 744 millimetres had fallen to date and that the yearly average for Roaches Point is just over a thousand millimetres for the full year so if we look at December it's usually about 120 to 130 millimetres so that will bring us to about maybe 900 for the year and that's without counting what will fall for the remainder of November. And then, as as we're well aware, July and August were very dry months. And then the figures on the the records there show that there was only 34 millimetres at Roaches Point over those two months of July and August. However, as we know, September, October and just the last two weeks here have definitely made up for that now in what has fallen since. Cork Airport then, which I suppose looks about a million miles from Roaches Point, traditionally would record about 200 millimetres more rain over the course of the full 12 months of a year. Um, they got the, 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 the station there got 42 millimetres recorded in July and August, but the same trend, I suppose, has happened since, since then for the latter part of the year. And then we look at yearly figures. Um, we're about at 80% of normal rain for the year, but I suppose the thing that stood out for me is that the autumn months of September, October and November are actually ahead of the long-term records. So, look, this pattern of rainfall has had significant effects, and it's not just in the last few weeks, I suppose in particular in terms of what silage has had to be fed to deal with it. So firstly, we had the summer drought, which we've seen up to maybe a bale and a half or two bales per cow having to be fed to make up for lack of grass in the situation. Then there was a great opportunity to build grass on farm during September and some farms took the opportunity to stop feeding the silage at that stage. Farm grass covers recovered well, but I suppose look not to the normal levels that we would normally see around this area anyway. Grass growth has continued very well through October and the autumn closing plan, I suppose, started as normal a month ago. But since then, the rainfall has meant that cows have been housed by night or even full-time, depending on ground conditions. So, look, we're, we're dealing with a couple of issues now on the grazing side at the moment. First and foremost, if the ground is too wet to graze, then the cows need to be housed full-time, and, and that's just it, and that's the decision that has to be made. The priority, obviously, obviously to feed the animals first, but then in terms of the ground, we don't want to be excessively poaching the ground, which will lead to damaging of the swords. So this diet, this means then that the, there's a full full silage diet and probably at least three kilos of meal being fed to the, the, the cows. And just incidentally, they will need a, an, at least an 18% protein ration if there's no grass in the diet now. At this stage, it probably maybe makes sense to be drying off lower yielding or earlier calving cows in particular first lactation animals and if you are seeing that milk lactose is coming under pressure you know this drying off will will help that also so on one side we now have all the cows maybe indoors on a full silage diet so this means like i suppose look we really should be looking at what's available or the fatter supply on the other side of it then so to do this we just need to calculate the silage that we need on a monthly basis so that just some figures that i'll i'll mention here then um, every cow will eat 1.4 tonnes of fresh silage every month. A whaling will eat 0.6 and an in-calf heifer will eat 1.2 tonnes for every month. So just to reiterate that, it's 1.4 tonnes for the cow, 0.6 for the whaling heifer and 1.2 tonnes for the in-calf heifer for each month. So that's what is needed to, you know, what the animals are going to need. And then what, what do we have available? So we take the length by the width by the average height. And we multiply those figures there for the silage pits and we do that in metres ideally. So the length by the width by the height in metres divided by 1.35 and that will give us the total tonnes of pit or tonnes of silage in that pit then. And then maybe there might be wrapped bales of silage there on the farm also. So um, one bale is equal to 0.8 of a tonne of silage or 10 bales of silage the same as 8 tonnes in the pit. So look, just to add up your figures, 
see how long your current stock of silage is going to last if we'll assume that all stock are going to be on full silage from here on out. And the main reason I'm highlighting this is that the dry period is obviously the main time when we can restrict cow's intake and replace it with some other option. An important note, an important starting point, though, to note is that, you know, the basics are the same no matter what class of stock we're talking about, and that is that 50% um, of the animal's intake must come from long fibre, that just to make sure that their rumen will function properly. So the long fibre is the hay, the straw, or the silage that you have, and then you balance up the diet for, for energy and protein. So what we've been do doing then, we've been discussing this and the options with our discussion groups in the region in the past month. And a, t uh, a kind of a sample low silage diet that we'd be suggesting would be three kilos of 70 DMD silage. Now, that's three kilos on, on a dry matter basis, three and a half kilos of chopped straw, three kilos of either soya hulls, beet pub or palm curl, and a kilo of soybean meal for the protein. So you can see in this diet, we're only feeding three kilos of silage dry matter, where a cow would normally consume up to 11 kilos of silage dry matter in normal conditions if she was kind of left with, with silage in front of her the whole time. Um, and if this uh, sample diet was fed for 10 weeks of, of the dry period, then we'd be saving the equivalent of over three bales of silage per cow for the period. So a big saving can be made there. Um, and I suppose look around this area, straw is very readily available. It's good value. And look, I think it's great. makes a great sense to use it for the dry cows if, if you're going to be short for silage. And as I said, look, the dry period is the main chance when you're going to get restrict, when you're going to get the opportunity to restrict the silage intake of a cow. And just back to the three and a half kilos of straw that I mentioned. Now, it is a lot of straw. So look, a diet feeder would obviously be needed. But I do have clients that take a different approach uh, they take a different approach when there's no diet feeder and they're trying to get straw into animals. So what they do is they give two feeds of silage and then the third feed is just, like I suppose, 100% hay or straw. Um, and you know, it works quite well and you know cows are cows acclimatised to it. So basically, look, I think now is a great time to take stock of your situation. Speak to your advisor or your nutritionist if you think you're going to be dealing with a shortage of silage. In general, are there some things, some tips about what farmers, dairy farmers, should be watching out for this time of the year with their herd of cows? An issue that we have to be obviously conscious of, if you know, if we're talking about restricting silage and you know lack of silage on the farm, we just have to be obviously very conscious of the the body condition score of the cows. Um, and, you know, I've, in my experience for the herds that I would have helped clients do condition, condition scoring with at this time of the year is that there's usually about 10 to 15 percent of animals within the herd that are under condition and maybe the same percentage that are at risk of being over conditions when, when they'll come to the time of calving. So we're well aware of the issues that can arise if a cow is above or below the target of three to three and a half body condition score at calving. So if they're below the target, you know, milk yield would be affected and the cow may not go return to heat and may not go back in calf, you know, in the springtime of next year. And if she's over-conditioned, the risk then is milk fevers and ketosis. So, you know, risks there for either being under-conditioned or over-conditioned. So currently, if the cow is in around like anything over 2.5, 2.75 to 3, she should be fine with eight weeks dry. But look, that's entirely dependent on the DMD of the silage she's going to be fed. So again... Essential to get it analysed, get your results back as soon as possible so that you know what you're working with and you know what the silage is capable of doing when you're going to give it to the animals. Um, so as I said, it's usually only 10%, of, 10 to 15% of the herd that need attention at the start. 
So it's those that are too thin or, you know, at 2.5 or less body condition score. So, you know, extra meal, good quality silage. And ideally, if they could be separated out as a separate group and, and monitored and maybe, you know, after a couple of weeks feeding, they can be put back into the main group of cows. An extra two weeks dry can also do a lot for an animal that's on the wrong side of body condition score. So just to bear in mind, maybe now, you know, calving dates, if you've done your scanning and you have your calving dates. So if we say, for an example, a cow that's due to calve on the 15th of January, she needs to be dried off this week if you're going to give her 10 weeks dry. And if, you know, an animal that's going to calve on the 1st of February, in another two weeks, she'll need to be dried off. So look, the key elements for the point here are get your silage results out so you know what your starting point is with the feed the feed supply on the farm. Identify the group of cows that need attention. Ideally, if you can run them through the crush and you know run your hand over them um, and just to feel the body condition score of the animals. Uh, and look at the calving dates and figure out when cows need to be dried off, particularly if you're going to target a longer dry period for some cows. Thank you, Miss Liz Duffy, Chagask Dairy Advisor with the Middleton Office of Chagask. Thank you, Liz, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. You're very welcome. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to Barry O'Mahony, News Editor, 96103 FM News, and Marie Tuick, 96103 FM News Reporter, for contributing to the programme again this week. In particular, to Marie Tuig for creating our Farm Talk podcasts. Most importantly, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.